There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Hello and welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. As always, thank you for joining me for another episode. Please, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you could leave a five-star review, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast, that would be incredible. Today, I welcome the chairman and CEO of Bennigan's, Bennigan's on the Fly, and Steak and Ale, Paul Mangiamelli. We talk about what it's like to run a franchise model, be a global company, and the day-to-day life of a chairman and CEO. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Let's go ahead. All right. Paul, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so delighted and so excited to have you here today uh, joining me on an episode. I've been looking forward to it. Just want to say welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure. Of course. So what I usually like to do with all my guests is kind of build a little bit of a background. Um, so maybe why don't we start off with how did you get into the restaurant industry? Well, the best background, just so I can kick everything off in the proper tenor, is I wrote a book about our return to relevance. Bennigan's return to relevance, Bleeding Green 25-8. That's going to say a lot about answering your question. Okay. Leading green is passion. And if there's anything us Italians know, it's passion. You're right. And that's why when I, anyone asked me is, if you're Italian, why are you running an, an own Irish brand? And I said, look, yeah. first of all, St. Patrick was Italian. Okay. So let's get that straight right, right from the <laughs> beginning. Number two, look, if you don't love your brands, if you don't love your teams, if you don't love your guests, you shouldn't be in the business. That's right. That love for me has always, you know, through the course of my career, has always translated to passion. But now to actually not only lead, but to own Bennigan's Steak and Ale and the, the new brands that's gaining a lot of traction, Bennigan's on the fly, is a real kick, especially since our brands created and pioneered the casual dining space. The category itself was created by our iconic brands. And... Um, and Norm Brinker, who was a friend of my wife's and mine, actually created these brands. And I always give him the utmost respect. And it's a guess. It's real guess to be sure. now not only leading but owning the brands that he created so many years ago. And all of us, all of us are standing on the shoulders of all those that came before us. And so I think we um, not only should pay respect but, but homage to the people that put the blood, sweat, and tears way before we came on the scene. Right. And... Um, and so for me, you know, it's a, uh, hence the name of my company. It's not only continuing and sustaining the legacy, but to become and sustain the legendary aspects to the brand. And in our case, it translates to legendary restaurant experience, which unfortunately aren't too common anymore. A lot of people got shuffled around and, and scared and all the turnover and all the different things that affected the business, especially in service where uh, in casual dining particularly, where servers are hard to find, bartenders are hard to find, managers are hard to find. And guess what? 
It always was. And so let me go all the way back then and answer your question. Yeah, yeah. Long winded way to get to it. But so I started early and never, you know, got hit by lightning and said, this is my calling. I, uh, my uncle, you know, being Italian again, so my uncle owned yep. Pisidia. Of course, it was Little Italy. It wasn't East Harlem, but it was Little Italy. And, and so all of us worked in the restaurant, all of us cousins. It was cheap labor. We, got a, we had a kick out of it. Uh, it was total in violation of the child labor laws. But it was <laughs> what was done back then. And, uh, and, and it was fun because not only did we, you know, wash the dishes and, you know, make the antipasta, make the pizzas and make the, the, the different pastas and the sauces uh, and then have the privilege of cleaning all that mess up. But we also got to the front of the house and bus tables and talked to our, our different guests as they came in. And it really became a community. It really became a family. And so that stuck with me up until the present day. It's all about communities, all about family. It's all about having people feel comfortable in the environment that you create, regardless of category, whether you're McDonald's or you're uh, Morton's. It should always be something where the guests feel comfortable and at home. Uh, and God knows they needed a, um, a social environment and socialization after the you know, lockdown for two and a half, three years that we all had to weather. Uh, The storm was brutal. The headwinds were fierce. But, you know, like all resilient brands, we we came out of it. We never had to close one restaurant, which was praise the Lord. And and I owe it to the tenacity and the the dedication and of our franchise partners. We are 100% franchised. And, but that was something ingrained in me in the very beginning too. So from my uncle, I graduated into, you know, actually just earning my way through college. And so I was lucky enough to get a the award the, to the uh, Naval Academy. So I did my, my Naval service. And, but I, when I went, came out and went back into graduate school, yeah, there I was bartending again because uh, in, in our family, probably the same as yours, Nick, you know, no rich uncle, no rich dad. Yeah. Every dollar you ever had to make was, yeah. you know, you got to just work really hard. No silver spoon, didn't even have silver in the house. So, yep. you know, it's all, about, it's all about hustle. It's all about what I say in the book, 25-8, mathematically impossible, but it's a work ethic. And that work ethic was ingrained in me by watching my father work and my mother work. And it was, you know, an expectation that we get out there and we got to earn our living. And, right. uh, and so for me, uh, gravitating into not engineering, not, not teaching school, but in the day-to-day dynamic of the restaurant industry is so much fun. And, um, and so when I went back and, you know, now I learned bartending, then I learned serving and then, yeah, I was in the back of the house and then I worked, you know, coffee houses, then I worked cafes and then I worked fine dine. I had the tuxedo on and everything. You learn valuable lessons. But again, even then, it wasn't a thing where the, the lightning bolt hit me, but I always gravitated back to it because one, made a lot of money <laughs> because <laughs> thank God, you know, before, before the um, anarchists were, were uh, taking away tip credit, uh, you know, but, and, and denying uh, the service sector an opportunity uh, to gain a lot of money in tips, you know, it was, it was a way that I would help finance uh, my undergraduate and graduate school. And then after that, um, I, I got into a senior level management with Pizza Hut. It was just a a wonderful thing because it was just, yeah. it was uh, PepsiCo at the time owned it. And it was just after the time they bought it from the Carney brothers. And so uh, it was a reestablishment 
of the brand as it was starting to grow, not only domestically, but internationally. And again, franchising and very, very important rules. And then I had other stints with TGI Fridays. I had stints with Texas Roadhouse and, uh, and other smaller regional brands. But all of that experience compounded over the years to the point where I always knew, you know, being with, uh, and I always loved the casual dining segment. Never was, I never had an affinity for fast food or the QSR mm-hmm. categories. I love fine dining, but again, it's very occasional. It's, it's, uh, it's higher end now, especially when you're spending $75 for a steak. Oh, and you want mashed potatoes? Oh, that's another $20. And so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. And unfortunately, it only appeals to a very small section of the population. But I wanted to be and continue the development of the brands that were known for family friendly. And it was always fun. And it was always value priced. And, uh, and the value proposition was always strong. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to continue that. But over the years of different ownership with Bennigan's, uh, some of that cultural stuff, and I'm going to get back to the big C culture uh, in, in a minute because it's so important. They got away from the, the cultural piece and they actually fired the intellectual capital that made the brands hum. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. And so when it went chapter seven, I worked with a, 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 a private equity firm uh, to reestablish it and buy it out of, of bankruptcy and then create a franchising model after I bought them out. So my wife and I have 100% ownership. So after that, I wanted to reestablish the, okay, so let's take the 40 microwaves out of the kitchen. Let's start going back to making our food from scratch, which we're known for. Providing the portions uh, that people expect for the money, the hard-earned money that they work so hard for. And so uh, we wanted to give that value proposition a boost as well as transferring that to the value proposition for and creating the compelling returns for the franchising model itself. So today, I'll get back to some of the more detail, but today we're global, we're growing. Wow. So we have Bennigan's growing, we have Steak and Ill growing, we have Bennigan's on the fly. Now, Bennigan's on the fly was interesting mm-hmm. because um, it's a hybrid. I, w- I originally created it for airports and, and non-traditional venues. Uh, but interestingly enough, during the pandemic, you really had to uh, go back to New York, be a street kid. You had to be a street fighter and say, okay, how do we weather the storm? Because we ne- no one really had to ever face this before. How do we keep our restaurants open? How do we continue to serve our guests? How do we continue to employ our, our team members? How do, we em- how do we continue to teach our managers new ways of street fighting and still win enough market share to keep the business viable? And that's exactly what we did with Bennigan's Supply. So we created the host kitchen aspects of Bennigan's. We created the ghost kitchen aspects of Bennigan's. And then we created the smaller footprint aspect of Bennigan's. And now, uh, like, for example, I'm talking to a group that had a lot to do with Bennigan's back in the 90s. And it was a fabulous group out of South Korea. They want to bring Bennigan's on the fly. back to Seoul, back to South Korea. And I'll tell you why it's smart. As you get internationally, um, you know, you're not finding giant highways where you can build 5,000 square foot restaurants. Uh, That space is precious. Um, And typically you go vertical, Mm -hmm. not horizontally. 
And so um, it's, we've already had some initial conversations. So it's a brilliant idea to bring Bennigan's on the fly to South Korea and also to piggyback and what I'm doing with the, the host kitchen, piggyback on some other establishments, whether it be fine dine or other casual dining, and bring some of our favorites. Like we have trademark, you know, the world famous Monte Cristo, as an example, or our O Baby Back Ribs. These are trademarked and part of our menu. We also have you know, Death by Chocolate, we have the martini, we have the dessert. So it's a fun thing to be able to trademark the, the food, but also to bring that iconic food and beverage to, to a greater degree into the, the whole conversation. So now the, when you take a look at the legendary restaurant brand's parent, we have the three brands, but also the offshoots uh, because of the Bennigan's on the fly. Sure. And so now when I take a look at the aggregate revenue generation for what we can do corporately and what our franchisees can do, not only domestically, but like I said, uh, internationally as well, it's, um, it, I think it's the right thing to do. It's, um, it's, a, it's an amazing demand for our brand. Everybody remembers it. Always, some, everybody has a great story. I met my wife. I met my husband. I had my reception there. You know, I was drunk and you treated me great. You know, those kinds of things. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to. And everybody said, you know, when are you going to open one in, you know, across the street from where somebody lives? Like I can just wave a magic wand. I wish I could. But uh, we're getting to it slowly but surely. And, and people ask me that. They said, well, you know, uh, why, are, why do you not have more explosive growth? And we are, except that we're not public. I don't have public money. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it organically through the franchising money. And so because of that, I got to be very, very deliberate and hopefully intelligent about where we're putting our restaurants, who we're partnering with from a franchise standpoint. And, um, and so far, it's been working wonderfully well. You know, the team I have, my senior vice president of uh, operations for us is Sean Finn. You can't get more Irish than that. Yeah. And he's been with the company for 37 years. You know, our next lowest tenure is 25 years. And so... That intellectual capital that I referred to before is the key to the engine that continues to drive because it's not just driving the brand, it's driving the relationships. People can count on us. I mean, just take a look at, if I can't, if I, I'll, I'll just digress a second, I'm, I'm shocked, I'm abhorred of the last two or three years where so many companies, not just in food service, but anyone in the service sector or even, even in other industries, are firing their CEOs. Mm-hmm. looking for new talent. And the CEOs aren't the guys that are supposed to be <laughs> terminated. And it's amazing because, again, it's that intellectual capital. It's really they somehow along the way terminated their culture. Mm-hmm. The very success components for a lot of brands, when different ownership gets a hold of it, work diligently to kill it. And it's, the, it's such a wrong move because that preservation is really what is the key. Because people, you know, I, I've said this a million times about casual dining because, you know, casual dining gave up on, the, on our guests. Mm-hmm. The guests never gave up on casual dining. I don't know how many times I've heard the naysayers out there say, casual dining is dead. You know, Bennigan's is dead. Steak and ale is a dinosaur. And they keep asking me, they say, you know, you know, no company has ever come back from Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And I said about, about 12 years ago, I said, well, watch us. Keep an eye on us. 
Okay, I'm not one to boast and brag, but just keep <laughs> it silent because you know what? I have the intellectual capital with our hundreds of years of experience with my teams and with my franchise partners where we work in collaboration mm-hmm. and in participation mm-hmm. to say, how do we continue with our ideation and move forward from a physical plant standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, a, a menu standpoint, a beverage standpoint, um, you know, a look at our demographics and psycho, psychographic standpoint, what more can we do to keep in, on the front line of what's going on in our industry while giving people the very product that they remember and love? You can't get a world-famous Monte Cristo anywhere else, Nick, I swear. Yeah. I know I'm, I am emotionally involved. In my <laughs> I can feel your passion. Hey, look, I'm Italian, right? So, That's right. so when we love something, we love it unconditionally. Yeah. And I, you know, I did a lot of due diligence be, be, before I joined and wanted to see, well, is it really dead? Or do we, any, does anybody really care? For example, I started a steak and ale comeback page. Yeah. There were no right. steak and ales. And 53,000 people were telling me, hell yeah, they love it. And yeah, they want it. And they told me what they want on the menu. And I better not even touch the salad bar. You better bring the salad bar back too. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Right now, the first steak and ale will open again up in, um, uh, it's uh, in Burnsville, uh, Minnesota. All right. So we got that on the line. We got a couple in Dallas. Uh, we're talking to a group in, uh, in Houston right now. So there's a lot of interest, a lot of interest, because steak and ale really was the 1966 introduction uh, in Dallas. And it really took the, business, the, you know, the, the restaurant industry by storm. Norm Brinker was brilliant in coming up with, well, how do we make it fun? How do we make it good? How do we make it interesting and still make it very affordable? Mm-hmm. Sure. And so I'm saying to the naysayers now who, or whoever else listens to this podcast to say that, you know, that's why uh, anybody who's ever successful never listens to you because <laughs> you'll find a way to kill something when we really should find a way to make something successful. Yeah. Boost people mm-hmm. up. You don't boost people down. You know, you, 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 um, you know, you develop uh, our, you know, like, We've had hundreds of thousands of people that have worked for Bennigan's and Steak and Ale, and that alumni continues to feed us ideas, or they want to, you know, they want to join the team again, or they have, you know, something to add. So, you know, that that value proposition of the people, you know, inside and outside, I call our team members the internal guests, and the guests that actually come to the restaurant are external guests, because together we have created something really really special and unique. And again, it's tapping into the iconic nature of both these brands that I've never seen anywhere else. Never seen anywhere else. And I've been in the business for over 40 years. Thank you for that background. And and as I mentioned, I I could just feel your passion in, in what you're saying. And I'm sure that reverberates throughout your entire organization. You mentioned doing time with Pizza Hut and TGI Fridays, Texas Roadhouse. When you made that bridge over to Bennigan's, was Bennigan's something that you always had your eye on? Was it the opportunity that just presented itself at the time? How did you decide that, yes, I want to go forward and do this? Well, you know, I have been around the business for quite some time. You know, through all those different experiences, it teaches you to kind of whittle down to what's important to you as a professional in the business. And like I said before, what do you want to leave behind? It's one thing to work for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, that old saying where some people uh, work to live and some people live to work. And I'm one of those guys that I completely identify 
with what I do. If I'm working for, when I worked for TGI Fridays, I was bleeding red and white. Loved the brand. Uh, you know, mind, body, and soul. And it's the same thing with what I, what I did with um, Benny Ginsburg and Steak and Ale. I mean, I love these brands because, you know, what I saw is a lot of people mistreated them. Nobody really loved them. They didn't give them the proper attention. They were making decisions on 90-day cycles. They weren't thinking long-term. They weren't supporting their franchisees. So I said, you know, imagine, just imagine if we could provide that type of stewardship of the brands, that type of leadership Mm -hmm. operationally, and still be on the cutting edge from, you know, marketing or, you know, the physical plan or, you know, design, uh, fixtures, music, you know, look at every aspect, you know, all five senses of what we're presenting to our guests because they deserve it. And so many people get stuck in stopping the beverage ideation, you know, because, or some people just jump on the latest fad and then they spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on the size of the brands, on a fad that won't last more than three months. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's crazy. But when you're forced into that box where you're, you know, it's demanded of you to post some kind of a, a result in a 90-day cycle. If you don't, you're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, hence that turnover, mm-hmm. which again is, is the uh, anathema of any brand. Uh, so that's where I think we, we collectively focus. I have, uh, you know, uh, the uh, different, different consultation councils with my franchise partners and mm-hmm. the general managers who run the restaurant day to day. How many franchisees do you, or different franchise owners do you work with? Uh, probably it's probably close to fifty right now. Wow! Uh, internationally and domestic. That's I mean that. And and what's even better than that, Nick, is the pipeline. The pipeline is probably somewhere in a hundred store mark that are you know that are signed but not open. You know, right. in Mexico, in uh, Panama, in El Salvador, uh, we're looking to, to break into South America soon. You know, I already told you about the South Korea looking mm-hmm. at um, creating more presence in the Middle East. We're already in Qatar. We're already in Bahrain. We're already in Cyprus. We're talking to Israel. We're talking to Iraq. We're talking to Turkey. And, and people say to me, too, you're crazy. They're, you know, it's just like in the Ukraine. Uh, uh, one, of, one of the partners has a lot of business that he's conducting. Uh, he's an engineer in, in the Ukraine. Uh, and not every aspect of the Ukraine is under, under you know, war watch. There's a lot of safe areas. Uh, sure. And so, and it's the same with all these other countries. It's like, just be smart when you go there. Don't be, you know, idiotic and go to areas where, you know, after dark where you're not wanted. Uh, right. That's, you know, that's, that's just common sense, but I find it's not so common anymore. Sure. Well, what's the, in terms of working in other countries, what's the barrier to entry to open up in Panama or Bahrain or any of these countries? Awareness is okay. number one. Awareness is number one, but we have done business there before. We have done business in El Salvador. We have done business in Panama. Uh, we, we continue to do business in Mexico. So now it's just extending the brand. That's already aware. And as I said earlier, critical, critical for revenue. There's already pent up demand. Mm-hmm. So my biggest job now is to how do I meet the demand, but going back to the principles of slow steady and intelligent Hmm. because again in our game one bad experience one bad decision one bad franchise group uh one one foodborne illness Mm -hmm. 
and you're, you know, you're, you're, you come to a, a screeching halt and may never recover for, from it. You know, that becomes your reputation. That's all anybody wants to talk about because we're all about sound bites today. And so, uh, so I got to be, you know, anybody uh, that's running any brand in any industry has to be extremely diligent. Uh, and e- even, even now, uh, more so on the cyber side, you know, we have to be, you know, very secure as much as you can because it, it appears that anybody can hack into anything mm-hmm. at any time. And now they can become you. I, I've seen that within my own company, yes. That's crazy, but I, I mean, it's, it's a fact of life that we're dealing with. So again, you got to go back to, well, if you're speed fighting, you got to be nimble, mm-hmm. you got to be agile, and sometimes you got to be hostile. Mm-hmm. Depending, like- on, depending on you know, what, what, what uh, actually is going on. But I, I think that uh, you know, the other thing I use is from the Marine Corps where my brother uh, served. And it's like you always look at adapting, improvising, and overcoming. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of the issues that come across our industries, uh, if you take a look at those three words and say, okay, what do we need to do to adapt? What do we need to do to improvise if we already don't, already don't have that infrastructure built? Mm-hmm. And then how do we overcome and gain, in our case, more market share? How do we, how do we have more people talk about Bennigan's steak and ale? Like, for example, I have a friend that's a, that's a producer in Hollywood. And then, uh, as you know, you know, waiting was with Ryan Reynolds, and that was shot in the Bennigans. We're on South Park. Everybody oh. talks about Bennigans, Bennigans, Bennigans. And and so he was making a movie, and it's called About Fate. It's out. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Okay. And it was shot. It was shot last year. We we actually created from a closed restaurant. We created a Bennigans. Amazing what these folks can do. And so we brought. I had my team. Um, we we bust all this stuff out to. Uh, loaded up a truck and, and drove it across the country to, you know, to, to recreate a Bennigan's. It's a beautiful uh, movie. It's with um, Emma Roberts. Okay, yeah, I know Emma Roberts. Is in it. Thomas Mann is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a few other actors. But the thing was, the, the central theme is a romantic comedy. So it's, it's very predictable, but it's a lot of fun to watch. And so what, what became of it was all the emotional aspects of the movie were shot in the Bennigans. So I, when he first introduced it to me, I thought, well, is this just going to be a drive-by and, you know, you're going to see it in one frame and then never, never, never uh, see it again? It was central to the movie. So, um, so anybody listening, if you want to, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. If you want to see something fun, uh, go see this movie called About Fate with Emma Robertson and a cast of thousands. It's a lot of fun. So, so when I'm asked about, well, that's great. Yeah, but here's the greater thing. How much marketing stretch is that worth to have Bennigan's mm-hmm. in a movie that has been seen around the world and maybe several times already? That's worth billions of dollars. That's right, yeah. You know, and I feel like that's my, that's my duty. You know, you got to, this is not free, by the way, right? You got to pay for this product placement placement. And, you know, it's my duty to, to, to shout to the world that we're back. We're better than ever. We're continuing to grow and we're creating a, an atmosphere where it really is legendary. To, mm-hmm. You know, deliver experiential versus transactional. Let me, let me talk about that for a second. Yeah. So there, there's so many, there's so many companies. And again, 
um, I'm going to I'm going to stick to food service, but it, it can apply to any retailer. Where when they walk into an establishment, when your guest, when your customer walks into an establishment, what's the experience from the parking lot to the front door to the greeting to the seating to the menu to the to the offerings to the bar to the music? You know, what do you give them? And if it's meh, you'll never see them again. And now it becomes transactional. So in other words, it's a, a one and done. Mm-hmm. They'll go there once, they'll pay their money, and it's sayonara. We won't see you again. And that also kind of relates back to what the states are doing now, which mm-hmm. I'm, I hate to get into a political thing, but just a comment or two is when the states are making it business unfriendly, Mm-hmm. for any company to come in because of the, the wage mandates and the union mandates and the restrictions that you find yourself in, it makes it untenable, whether it's a corporate store or a franchise store, to even bother to open up. So unfortunately, the victim here are the potential employees because they won't get a job. And the existing operations will continue to close or you know, and that's why the big movement in robotics has taken place because now they are re- replacing people, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the quick serve mm-hmm. category. So that's why I think it's important when you take a look as you project the, these things out that, you know, if, if you don't deliver that experience, which if it translates to um, experiential, then that translates to lifetime guests. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved mm-hmm. about, you know, for me, that was my, that was my call to purchase. Because when I saw that, you know, 40 and 50 years later, Bennigan's and Steak and Ale were still relevant and still resonated with these people in a positive way. That, in other words, if I, if I was provide the, the location to them, they come. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great news for me or a potential franchise partner and for our guests themselves because it perpetuates, you know, the, the phenomenal legacy of these uh, of these brands, so that's why uh, when I'm when I'm keying in on things that are the most salient in our business, I'm looking at provide the experience from beginning to end. Instead of viewing your guest as a transaction, mm-hmm. so a transaction is a you know a fifty dollar deal, lifetime guest is fifty million deal. So which right. one do you want? Yeah, of course. So I see that grossly missing in our industry right now. Too many people are, are doing too much too fast without the thinking in the long term and not building for the long term. They're certainly not building the infrastructure to support it as well. And Paul, I, a little background on myself is my, my dad and I, we actually started a food service brokerage company back in 2015. Uh, you know, we're family owned. We started on the same day. Kind of a, it, it's a fun dynamic, a father son dynamic, and our business has grown right. nicely over the last years. In your experience, what's it like working with your wife? Yeah, well, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate that I found my 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 queen and my princess um, all in one woman. You know, I well, first of all, she she has been in and around the business, mm-hmm. not directly in the mm-hmm. restaurant business, but she has a lot of experience with, you know, contract vending, uh, purchasing, distribution. And so when this came around, when, I, when they hired me in on to, to do, be the turnaround guy, I immediately negotiated into the contract, the management buyout. Because I thought, you know, as I 
all these years that I've spent, I, I'd rather exercise my entrepreneurial muscles and use these brands as a foundation to not only leave a legacy, but also make a difference in the industry. And I said, you know, I, I, there's nobody better to partner with, baby, than you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it together. And we're the kind that um, are, you know, we mesh. It's yeah. not like, you know, she's A and I'm A, and then we just bang heads all day. She's very, um, you know, the parts that I lack, she, she has in her mm-hmm. strong suits. And she's very perspicacious. I mean, she, she's perceptive and she, she always has her pulse on the uh, trending. You know, we love, you know, being from New York, we love to go back. Unfortunately, it's been decimated over the last, from a political and, and financial standpoint. But like anything, New York's resilient too and will come back. Don't know when, but it will come back. Yeah. But we love to go and experience all the different ethnicities, all the different cultures, mm-hmm. all the different uh, offerings from a food service because they're always on the cutting edge of what, What's the new trend? That's right. And, and so when two martinis are $50, something's wrong with that trend. But, but still, uh, it's, it's something to experience. And so we, I like to bring, like I said, that ideation uh, from what new fixture can we bring in? What new, uh, you know, what, from a booth uh, you know, a combination, what can we put in a table, chairs, uh, you know, the flooring? Uh, like, for example, I have... Um, I have uh, uh, an old style, you remember this from New York, where it's a little one-by-one tile Mm -hmm. that has the old brand logo with established in it 1966 for steak and ale, 1976 for Benigan's. You know, and and it's as soon as you walk in, you see that. And immediately it gives us panache. Immediately it says, we've been around Mm -hmm. and we're going to treat you like a king or queen or whoever you might represent yourself to be, but we're going to make sure that you have an experience. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, a le- and then how do we describe that? Well, it's going to be legendary. And, you know, so we have the dessert tray. We make everything from scratch. Um, you know, the, like we have a New York style cheesecake that I buy from New York because there's no better cheesecake from, than from New York. You know, I mean, just, yeah. you just can't find it. And so, you know, we have a great relationship with our supplier partners, our distribution partners, and of course, our franchise partners. And so they, we collaborate on, here's our new menu, here's what we're going to bring in, here's what we're going to 86, and let's keep it fresh, let's keep it exciting and continue to move on. But my wife and I, my team, you know, we, we're all a family, and I know it sounds corny, but it really is a family. That was my vision in the beginning. Totally. Uh, I've, I've been part of other companies where it was anything but family. A lot of infighting, a lot of backbiting. Mm-hmm. Who's going to step on who to climb up the ladder? I wanted to. I wanted to do away with that nonsense. I wanted to do away with the politics. I just wanted to actually have the integrity to introduce the company with integrity that stays true to the heritage and the culture, where it's all about people serving people, mm-hmm. and we continue to get better because of it. And so far, gracias a Dios, it's happening. I love that. And Paul, what what does your daily life look like? What are the things that you focus on on a day to day basis? Well, every day is how do we make our company better? How do we yeah. how do we continue to build again with with being deliberate, with being intelligent? And where do we want to go? Like for example, anybody who wants to develop in California today, and I'm going to be very frank and honest because um, uh, there's no reason not to be. It's crazy. Unless there's already an infrastructure, unless you're already doing mm-hmm. business in California, already established from a, you know, a management and 
um, and, and from a back office standpoint, it's crazy to go there now. You know, the, the, the costs mm-hmm. are too high. The permitting, the fees, just to open are ridiculously high. You can't make the numbers work. So it's like, well, you know, um, let's avoid it until a new political regime comes in and starts to fix these things that are ridiculously broken. Unfortunately, so is New York. So is Connecticut. So is New Jersey. Uh, It just makes the barrier of entry so high. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's franchising for us. I don't want to, I would be doing a potential franchise partner a disservice by saying, you know, one store, by the time you open it, spend the money to open it, you know, hire the people, you know, go under construction and do all the things that add up to what it takes to actually open up a retail establishment. Uh, it will take years to recoup that. Yeah. So I'm looking at right now, so I'm looking at, okay, um, back to the question. So I'm looking at where are, you know, so then we've identified, as we take those out, we identified where to go. Yeah. So Texas is very much on center of the bullseye. Sure. So is Florida, center of the bullseye, the southeastern states, some some mostly the Midwest and some um, northeastern states where, you know, again, it's still business friendly. It's still affordable to do business. But then the, the next part is, well, where are we going to build? So to open up a new, a brand new ground up, unless you're in the development area where you already own land and you already have construction crews, it's much smarter to, to look at second generation space. Mm-hmm. You know, literally tens mm-hmm. of thousands of restaurants have closed over the last two, three years. Because if you remember, prior to the pandemic, people were still having problems. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot, of, a lot of saturation. And I love to say it wasn't overbuilt. It was under-demolished. A lot of old, tired dinosaurs were continuing to do business and needed to be, yeah. you know, kind of demolished. Mm-hmm. Let's start over. Let's build a, a brand new restaurant. Uh, but a lot of different reasons. The, you know, the rents, the landlords, the ownership franchise agreement, you know, things like that get in the way of doing what's right for the location. So now I'm looking at second generation space. Okay. So being restaurants that were open, closed, and now become great targets for us to continue to look for mm-hmm. and open, whether it's Bennigan's on the fly, Bennigan's or Steak and Ale. And then I wanted to, I wanted to, in the parent company, offer three different brands because of a market strategy to optimize the geography. And I think it's a smart play. So I'm talking to, typically I'm talking to a multi-unit uh, franchisee already in the business, mm-hmm. but has run out of territory to grow whatever he has, uh, typically in the QSR category. And so we come to him and say, okay, look, you can open up a Bennigan's on the fly here, a Bennigan's here, a steak and ale here. And I love to say, if you're going to be cannibalized, be the cannibal. Mm-hmm. So own the market share because that's all, that's what it's all about. It's market share capture and then retention, right. okay, by the experiential piece, you know, and that's more the, the, the guts of the, of the operation and execution of the four, four walls. And then, you know, the auxiliary opportunities that we have at Bennings on the fly with the delivery and the ghost kitchen. So, so that's basically what I want to think about. How, where do we go? How do we build? What do we offer? And I, I also look to regionalize the menu. So there's always about 25% of it that's, okay, you know, if I'm down in Texas, I'm doing chicken fried steak. But it, not, not, it might not play in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, they might not say, what the hell is this? So, so I look at what's regional favorites that people like 
and that we can add to the menu, and then we rotate it with Blackboard Specials. Now, same thing with our, um, with our beverage section. For example, I did a keynote in, in Dublin because we're the largest Irish-American brand, and so they invited me over to be a keynote, uh, a, a, a beverage uh, consortium. And so I, I went there, and uh, the guys that hosted uh, the, uh, it was a lot of the, uh, the principals with Guinness, and they took us around in a pub crawl, and we had um, uh, Irish coffee served in the, the most mm. attractive glass I've ever seen. And I said, wow, you know, where can I get my hands on those? And he gave me the name, and so we brought, I brought him over. And so now, because, you know, a lot of Irish coffee, it's always with you know, a ceramic cup that hasn't yep. been cleaned properly in t- 20 years. And so what I wanted to do was bring in something different that actually had Irish coffee. It's glass. And then I wanted to do something else. It's like, okay, so how about a little flair? that has been forgotten in casual dining. How about a little theater? How about a little, how about a little um, uh, excitement that we can bring to the table? And so we do a table side. When's the last time you saw anything done table side? Not very uh, often. Yeah. And so we do average coffee at the table in this. And so we put, you know, we put the Jamesons in there or whatever Irish, Irish whiskey we're using at the time. And we have our fresh brewed coffee. And then we make our own whipped cream. And then we bring it over and float it on the top and we have a sugar rim and it's absolutely delicious. Wow. It's the only wow. time I don't drink in any of the restaurants. And the only time I do is to have an Irish coffee yeah. because I love yeah. the presentation of it. And I wanted something special. So we're doing the same thing with steak and ale too, by the way. We're doing, we're doing the salad bar, but I'm also doing salad service uh, table side as well, as well as looking at some desserts that's flambe. And... Um, mm. And so I think that uh, if we don't burn down the restaurant, I think we'll have a lot of fun with that. So that, those are the kinds of things that I think, uh, again, experiential, that are make it's a wow thing, but it translates to the guest as, I like this place and I want to come back and I feel good. Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. the, you know, the, nobody took my order. It's been 20 minutes. I don't have a glass of water. You know, I, was, I, I actually was sat at a dirty table. You know, the, the host has never told us the specials. You know, it's just horrible stuff. That's right. And it, why? It goes all the way back to they don't bleed green. They don't bleed green at all. And there's the culture, whatever there was, has been decimated. It always can be tied back to that. There's that common denominator in our business. You know, it's not really complicated, but there's a million moving parts. And, but it gets down to the common denom- denominator, which is it's all about people, the right mm-hmm. people. It's all about that culture. And it's all about that execution. Sure. Uh, Paul, in your time at Bennigan's or maybe even prior to your time acquiring the company, had you had any large or significant failures in your career uh, that you had to overcome? And what would those be? The, yes. I mean, we, I mean uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? We yeah. all, if we haven't mm-hmm. failed, we haven't lived. So there are, there are times when, you know, you boldly go forward and uh, believing people, believing that everybody has integrity or believing that they're someone of the word. And just to find out that, you know, somebody here knew a royal family, this guy here is well tied in, this guy wants a 50-store deal and he has no money. And so through the, mm. the vetting mm. process, I've gotten smarter than, um, you know, even to the point where I've announced um, agreements where, you know, the, the understanding between men uh, or between groups, uh, or between uh, you know between women, where you know there were there were certain certain um, promises made that shouldn't have been made, 
Yeah. And, and so you put a lot of time and effort and manpower. I mean, you're doing you know, studies of the market. You're doing studies of the geography. You're doing studies of the real estate opportunities. Um, you're getting uh, legal involved. And, and then they might furnish you some, you know, some financial information. Now you say, okay, well, this looks pretty good, only to find out later that it was fictitious. So why do people do that? I'm yeah. going to tell you, Nick, I, I still to this day, why would somebody want to waste your time? Yeah. If, you know, do they really feel great about uh, misleading you? But yeah, all the way to the point where I've had deals signed but they never sent the money. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, I don't lose because, you know, that, that is an anomaly and that's a very small percentage of the people we talk to. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it's just sad uh, yeah. for us to experience yeah. it. So I be, I've become over the years a little more rigorous in our vetting process, get it out of the way. I get it out of the way early. Um, I, I do ask for a deposit when we're a little bit down the road because I just can't spend the time and the manpower uh, and in some cases the expense of uh, betting on the come when somebody hasn't demonstrated any kind of commitment. Yeah. So now I'm a little, a little older, a little wiser, but that's been probably the, the, you know, the saddest and most disappointing uh, of, of what we've experienced with Bennigan's or, or people that have already come on board. And the number one reason, let me ask you, I'm going to turn it for a minute, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Why do franchise partners fail? And this is endemic of all franchising. Why do they fail? What's the number one reason? You know, that's a great question. If I had to make a guess as to why they fail, it's probably that they don't follow the systems and processes that are put in place. Bingo. Bingo. That's exactly why. That's exactly why. You know, you come on board because of our history and our, our reputation and everybody wants to, a lot of people want to own restaurants and bars and, and then you don't follow the system. Yeah. You know, you keep on trying to recreate it. And what I find over, you know, now I used to be the young Turk in this business. Now I'm the old sage. But the thing is, if they had spent that time and money and effort to do what was right, they would have made a lot more money. And instead of, I, I try, on the collaboration, I try to have communication among all the franchise partners, but I can't believe that they don't want to share their best practices. Yeah. They're reluctant. They will, with a little, a little goose sometimes, um, a little goading, but I don't know why you want to keep it a secret because all of us will always be smarter than one of us. Sure. So let's, uh, together, again, back to the family piece, Let's have this family move forward by sharing. And when I see that happening, uh, and when I see the failure to follow the system happening, and they fail, and they close, and it breaks my heart because you had the world. All you had to do was hire the right people, train your people, mm -hmm. execute. But And I tell them up front, Nick, look, this is a hard business. There's a million moving parts. It's like the guy on the old Ed Sullivan show with the plates spinning on a stick. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got to keep a lot of plates going, man. And if you're not diligent and you don't work 25-8 and you don't have the passion, all the things back to the premise of our, of our conversation, then you're not going to succeed. And it's not going to be a mystery. It won't be a mystery. It's like, we're not going to scratch our heads wondering why. You failed to follow the system or to embrace it or to live it or to execute it or you treated your 
your, 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 your people horribly bad. Yeah. And they yeah. all quit. So when we teach your teams, and we've got 100% trained, and they're ready to go, and then, you know, the turnover that's experienced, we lose that, again, the intellectual capital, mm-hmm. and then slowly you see sales start to decrease. Well, again, not a mystery. The market hasn't moved away. The brand doesn't, you know, still can command a, a lot of market share. You're just not doing what you're supposed to and what you promised to do. Right. That's where the failure is because I feel like is there something I should have done? Is there something I should have said? Uh, should we have done more from a support standpoint? And I always check the box and say, no, we've done it. They just refuse success. Yeah. Can't understand why. Yeah. Paul, what what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student uh, who will be coming out into the workforce uh, sometime in the near future and who want to be a, a, a chairman and CEO of a company in the future? Great question. Uh, the first thing I would say, I feel strongly about this, is to let them know that they are entitled to absolutely nothing. <laughs> Having a college degree means nothing. Congratulations. Right. Okay. Now you're one of the millions. You know, now you got to go in and earn your spurs, buddy. Yep. You know, or young lady. You're going to have to prove yourself and you got to earn it. You got to earn it every day. And I tell you what, I tell you where you're going to begin. I'm going to promote you to DMO. Do you know what a DMO is? No. Dish machine operator. Okay. (laughs) So you're going to walk, you're going to wash some dishes. Okay. Because you know what? That's a critical position in our restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that's the first place I go, by the way. I talk about it in my book. I go, the first place I go, I don't go to the general manager. I don't go to the owner. I go right to the, the guys that are in the, in the whole dishwashing area. And I shake their hands and I give them a hug. And I said, you know how important your job is? And they go, what? I said, do you know how important? Because you know what? That dirty plate, that dirty, that dirty silverware, that dirty glass is our reputation. And if you don't do a great job, then our business suffers. That's how important you are. Yeah, they never really hear it that way. And then I do the same thing with, I go to the back of the house in the line. I look at their organization. I do the same thing in the front of the house. But, and that's where everybody should work. You, you're not entitled to be president. You're not entitled to be the general manager. You're not entitled to be the assistant general manager. You're entitled to wash the dishes. Right. And I would, I would advise them to shut up and listen. Yep. Okay. You know, that old Covey training, right? Seek first to, to understand before being understood. Yeah. And, and if you don't practice that, then you shouldn't be in the business. If you don't have a passion for it, you know, you got to find what you love to do because, you know, the old saying where then it's not work. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you hate to do it, uh, then don't do it. Yeah. You know? And the other thing I would, the, uh, is uh, ask them to find discipline to me. Okay. So if I asked you, Nick, since you're so smart, <laughs> what's discipline? How would you, I mean, it's not a long explanation. What would you say is discipline? For me, discipline is doing uh, similar habits consistently over long periods of time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Except that the spin on it, whatever you don't want to do, you make yourself do. Like yeah. maybe the last thing you wanted to do was talk to me today. <laughs> and you're making yourself do it. And you go, man, I hope it's going to be worth it. Um, and then what you like to do, you deny yourself. Sure. You know, you want to sleep in, get your butt out of bed. Get to the restaurant, you know, in our case, get to the restaurant early. Mm-hmm. Do a pre-inventory. Do a walkthrough. Check the line. Get your thermometer out. 
Check the cleanliness of the glasses. Check the cleanliness of the floor. Go in the bathrooms. You know, make sure there's spit shine, brother. You know, go to the parking lot. Pick up those cigarette butts. Grab a broom. That's what I would advise, you know, these kids understand that. It's all about discipline. You got to train your mind. Your mind is a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that were taught to me. I carry them and I try to share them with the, you know, the new generations that, that are coming in. But those, you know, so it's like you got, if you understand those basic fundamentals, you'll get far. Yeah. But don't, don't expect anything. You got to earn it, kid. Yeah. I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, I don't care how rich your family is. I don't care how poor your family is. You can make it, but you got to work. True. Looking far into the future, before you're all said and done, what is something that you still want to accomplish but haven't yet? Great question. So I, I, I will bifurcate your question. One is to continue to love and support my, my family, mm-hmm. okay, and, and continue um, the, the traditions and legacy that our families have practiced for hundreds of years um, and always give them the love and, and time that, that they need, priority one. Uh, secondly, from a business standpoint, to, again, uh, I, I, I'm going to make this point again. I am fully cognizant of the fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of those that came before me. Mm-hmm. You know, Norm mm-hmm. particularly. I, I completely honor and respect him. I knew him. I thought he was, you know, he, he was just a brilliant man. Um, and creating brands that have stood the test of time. It's true. So from a business standpoint, I, again, the resiliency of the brands, the relevance of the brands is something that I want to honor those and those that worked for um, the, the brands and worked for Norman in the very beginning when nobody knew what a steak and ale was or what a Bennigan's was and sustain the legacy to create opportunities for, you know, those, those, those teenagers, mm-hmm. those, those people that just graduated college, provide the opportunity and, and a plan where they can accomplish anything they want. Uh, if you want to put in the, I'm going to use a nasty four-letter word. I hope it's okay. It's called work. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to put in the work, good things will happen. Mm-hmm. If you want to slough off, you want to be lazy, you want to be undisciplined, well, it's not going to happen for you regardless of who you are or what you're doing. It just plain won't. And so, you know, for, so from that legacy standpoint, look, we're only here for a minute. Make it count. Yeah. And that's, that to me, that legacy Way long after I'm gone to see to, to know that Bennigan's and Steak and Ale were will continue to sustain and perpetuate itself, not only in the US, but around the world. Right now it's all about I wanted to and am in the middle of unifying all the Gulf Cooperation Council countries. So that being, you know, the the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates and Oman, all those will be consolidated under one master operator that's building the infrastructure hmm. to support everybody. So that to me is critical for continued growth. And I see, you know, and where is the growth? Well, I see, I see it totally in the, in, in the Middle East. I see it totally uh, in, the, in the peripheral of the, of the countries there. I also see, you know, a, a rejuvenation to some degree in the UK and the European Union um, over over a period of time. Not right now, but again, you can't have a 90-day 
vision. You got to mm -hmm. have a 90 year vision. And it, we, and our country itself, we're, we're so divisive right now. It's, it's, it, again, talk about breaking our heart. Like, you know, like today is flag day, you know? And again, I, I served at the military and I look around yeah. and I got my flag flying. Yeah. And there's so many that don't. That's right. There's not so many that don't. And they don't even know it is a flag day. Where's the patriotism anymore? And so again, um, I'll speak for it for a second. So I've, I've, um, I've uh, you know, through the uh, International Franchise Association, I belong to a, a, a community called VetFran. And so I offer veterans a, a discount if they want to be franchisees, but I also hire them. Because well, you know what? They know how to follow orders. Yeah. They know true. how to work. They know how to be squared away. And so any veteran, even though I'm franchised, I support when they come to the restaurant, if there's you know, a franchise you know, support group in the area and they, they're looking for positions, do your best to hire them if you feel that they, they fit the bill for you. Mm -hmm. Because again, in my, in my experience, they've always been outstanding in whatever capacity right. and loyal and dedicated. And I tell you what, when you can have those folks have your, have your back, have your six, you know, you're way ahead of the game. So those are the kinds of things, you know, on the bifurcation, those are the kinds of things that, you know, when we're, when, when I'm just a, a footnote in, in a history book, I would, would love to see the perpetuation and sustaining of something that is truly unique and different and, 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 uh, and, and to be and, and amazingly proud of. Incredible. Paul, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your schedule to share your story, talk about the brands. I mean, I learned so much. So just, uh, I'm incredibly grateful. But before we close, what's the best way if people are interested in your book, 25.8, to find that? Yeah, there's this wonderful thing called a website. Okay. Um, so it's on bennigans.com. So we have two. two. Okay. Um, thanks for asking the question. So bennigans.com without the apostrophe, of course. Um, yes. And it's 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 on there. So if they wanted to learn about Bennigan's, if they wanted to learn about you know our our uh, franchise uh, proposition, they can go there. And there's another tab for the book if they want. Uh, and then we also have a franchising one called LegendaryRestaurantBrands.com. So it's all one word. Okay. And if they want more franchise information, they can get that. And here's a great thing that I see not being done that I do just as a quick footnote. We answer our, the phone. My wife and I answer the phone personally, and we handle the inquiries personally. It's time-consuming, but I feel like if you, have, if you have the inclination to make the inquiry, you deserve the respect That's right. of somebody that actually owns the company. So Gwen and I do it ourselves. And I can't tell you the people, who are you? You're the owner and you're talking to me? Uh, it, nobody does it. And, and that's, again, part of the legacy that I think should be part and parcel of who we are and what we represent. So thanks for asking. That's a great question. Of course. Thank you for coming on, Paul. My pleasure. Take care, my friend. You too. Bye-bye. 